Hey everybody, James Arnold Taylor here, and you are listening to the great, big, beautiful podcast. Obi-Wan Kenobi has a good feeling about this. Yeah, but dabba do, Fred Flintstone too. And Ratchet, well, he's just me. I'm Affirmative. Oh, well, he's definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. Listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show, it's a kind of freedom, you know, to be an amateur. Yeah. It's, it's like you get to choose whatever level you want to participate at. You, whatever the goal is, it's your goal. Uh, it's a it's a great thing, and that freedom is important for kids as well as adults here because they're often, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that, and you know, uh, sometimes when you take all those things back and say, well, what do you really want to do? They stumble because we've never asked them that question. Yeah. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast, Facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast, and Twitter at the GBB Podcast, and anywhere you get podcasts on your phone, on your device, on your Apple TV. I don't know where you get it. Wherever you get it, we're there. And how is Apple TV? Doing? Does anybody listen to podcasts on an Apple TV? I don't know. I, I'm. I assume maybe not. Maybe through I, I, I YouTube. I guess you could. I guess you could. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, go ahead, Justin. No, I'm. I'm good. I'm good to go. We're gonna talk. We have a guest host again this week, and she's been on the show before. Samantha Fisher, how you doing? I am doing swell, Justin. How are you? I am. <laughs> That's so rudy. <laughs> I'm swell. I am swell. <laughs> I panicked. I didn't have wow. anything to say. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys uh, did an interview by yourselves. Well, by yourself. The two of you, not by yourself. You know what I mean. <laughs> we just talked to each other. It's really yeah. You just, you just uh, connected and spoke yeah. with each other, and yeah. yeah. We talked to uh, Dale Doherty, which was uh, kind of exciting because he uh, he is. If you're familiar with the Maker Movement. Or, you know, maker fairs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's sort of like the godfather of the maker movement. He uh, he is the he founded and is the CEO of Make Magazine. He is this president. He founded Maker Fair. Um, and, you know, there's like maker fairs all over the world now. Um, and he has really been at the forefront championing championing the uh, the DIY maker ideals. Um, and so we talked to him uh, about that, really. We talked about making. We talked about uh, growing up in, in a household where, you know, Sam talks about growing up in a household where DIY and making stuff for yourself was uh, sort of the norm, right? Yeah, yep. we're very yep, self we're very self-sufficient in my family. Um, yeah, I, I remember working on cars. I remember working in my dad's wood shop. I, you know, when something broke, you tried to fix it before you called somebody. Um yeah, so it it was it was interesting to hear a take on somebody who's trying to reach out to folks that that's not normal for that they just don't by default yeah. try to fix their fix things you know themselves and because that's kind of foreign to me. You should see the crap I take apart on my own trying to fix <laughs> garage door openers, lawn mowers. Yeah, let's, let's see what's inside. I, I, it's already I, it's already I broken. Will say, so. I, 
<laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm guilty of that. I am guilty of, of saying, oh, well, it doesn't work. Let's just throw it out and buy a new one because it's it's so easy to do that now. You know, it's and it's sometimes it's cheaper, you know, like it is. It, and it's not even just with small things, you know, sometimes like your lawnmower breaks breaks and you're like, well, it kind of is cheaper to just go buy a new one than it would be to take it into a shop, get it fixed, bring it home. You know, I mean. And it's sad to say, it's kind of like our, it's, it's where we are. It's a disposable culture. You know, we just, we just throw away and buy new and it's, but I've tried to change my ways. I've tried to learn how to fix stuff (laughs) and make stuff. Um, Well, okay. uh, What was the most, what was the most recent thing you tried to fix, Jamie? I'm interested. Tried to fix? Yes. The most recent thing I tried to fix. um, Well, my tent poles um, for a very old tent that I had. Um, the, uh, the, the stretchy, um, string that's in them, in them. So, you know, you can bend it and mm-hmm. everything like that. It, they had dried out and were crispy and they were no longer stringy or flexible. Um, mm-hmm. so I sent those away to get fixed. <laughs> <laughs> because, because so I could not have bigger. done it. I brought it to, well, stop it. I brought it to REI and I said, do you guys, I tried, okay, give me credit here, because I brought it to REI, and I said, do you guys sell this stuff that I, and I can just fix it? And even the people at REI said, oh, I wouldn't even bother trying to fix that yourself. There's no way you're going to get it done. Here, send it to this address. Um, and what I did is I, it, this is an old tent. I'm talking like probably 15 years old, but it's still a good one. And um, the company that like the tent company said I got in touch with them and they said yeah just you ship it to us and we'll fix it and send it back to you for free and so how can I say no to that right I tried I tried to fix it <laughs> do you think they actually fix it or do they just send you a new set of uh, poles? no I got my <laughs> I got my poles back I, I know I got oh, my wow. poles back but uh they yeah they were fixed and they're good as new now but you know okay. not to say that I'm totally useless I did renovate all three of my bathrooms so thank you very much I did tile work I put in a new shower. I did. Uh, the, I shower, I tiled up the walls. I put in new toilets, new sinks. So I did. That wasn't. I guess you could call that fixing. I fixed the bathrooms. I made them nicer. The, you created, I was really you impressed created with a bathroom. That. Yeah. I did three, three the, new bathrooms. Three. Well, yeah. That's when you impressive. were when I saw the pictures on, on Facebook after I was, you know, I was like, wow, man, bow to you. There is no way. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. It's kind of like what we talk about with podcasting. I don't really know what I'm doing in podcasting and I didn't really know what I was doing in the bathroom either but thank god for YouTube because that's how I learned how to do everything (laughs) a whole lot of YouTube watching tutorials (laughs) about how to how to lay uh, how to lay mud on the on the floor and put tile down and then grout it and I'm a pro now (laughs) that sounds sounds fun (laughs) alright guys we're gonna go play that interview for you right now hope you enjoy Dale, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Um, I wanted to start off with, uh, hopefully, which is will, will not be too convoluted of a question, but uh, parents today are constantly bombarded with what people think are best for their kids and what they need to emphasize, what's most important for young, growing minds. You know, we, we constantly hear... You know, things like early exposure to science, music, languages, art, all these things are critical and, you know, they need time to explore nature. They need to get out and get exercise. They need to travel. They need to read. As a parent, it can be a little overwhelming to know what 
really they should be fo- what we should be focusing on. So I'm wondering from your perspective, where does the maker movement and you know that intrinsic curiosity of just picking things up and, and putting them together to make things, where does that fit into everything that parents have to worry about and why should we add that to the list, make sure that our kids are getting enough time doing that? Good question. I, I don't know that it's necessarily adding to the list. I think, you know, it, if you want to develop um, curiosity and creativity, I think as much as it has to come from, uh, from the child, it's uh, him or herself uh, getting involved, having interest, and expressing themselves. And, and so uh, I think as a parent, you're, you're not just directing these things, you're also responding to them. Um, mm-hmm. You're guiding and supporting it. So, um, uh, you know, sometimes pe- people think of kids as a blank slate, but I think of them as as uh, responding themselves to the things in their environment, things that they see, and uh, particularly responding to experiences they have. And the richer those experiences, uh, the better. So I think of making as a kind of experience. I think of taking a walk in nature as an experience. Um, and I think we want to encourage kids to have all kinds of experiences. But certainly, uh, as, as, as children begin to express an interest in something, um, you know, we know kind of what it is when they say, I'd like to learn, a, learn to play the guitar or I'd like to play soccer. Uh, and I think what's less understood is, is that kids uh, may express an interest in in, in art and science and technology today and, and call that making. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do we support that as a parent um, in, 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 a, in a somewhat structured way, not just in, uh, uh, certainly it's important to support an informal way, but you know, just as there are structures, uh, if you want to become an athlete, you can uh, yeah. you know, join a team and, and, and play. Uh, so uh, if kids want to get good at something, how do we help them? Yeah. I mean, just just as parents might feel overwhelmed um, with everything that they're being told is is good for their kids. I I think uh, schools probably feel it even more so with the curriculum that they have to teach and the standards that they have to meet and all the different types of students and learners that they have in the classroom. What role do you see schools playing in the maker movement? Well, I, I think this is one of the really fascinating developments uh, that Maker Movement has found its way into, into schools mm-hmm. largely because teachers and sometimes students and parents are, have brought it in, sometimes through the side door, uh, by creating maker spaces. And, and I think one of the real questions is, is how do we engage students um, and how are they engaged? Uh, and if they're not really engaged, they're not learning. And I don't care what we want to teach them, but they're not learning it if mm-hmm. they're bored. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, making uh, is an active uh, experiential process uh, that they engage in. And so uh, I, I think people, uh, both students and, and teachers, tell me that they want to, to invite their kids to make because the kids are bored. Uh, they, uh, uh, they're not responding to just content being thrown at them, like just people talking to them. They want to do stuff. And, and I think, you know, making is a world of tools and materials and processes and expertise. And, and, you know, 
it's as comfortable being viewed as as an art studio uh, 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 work project uh, as it is a, a science lab mm-hmm. kind of work project. And, and I think what's really interesting is when those things intersect in some way, that the uh, science and technology kind of intersects with sort of art and craft. Yeah. Um, so, Dale, oh, sorry, Jamie, I'm <laughs> talking over you. I, I kind of wanted to follow up on that because I I grew up learning that from my parents. So my mother was a nurse by trade, um, but she grew a garden. It was an amazing garden. We, I mean, she fed a family of seven out of that garden. And I would watch her grow that, and I would watch her cook, um, create meals from that to feed the family. And, and it was always with, you know, very little money to go along with it. And at the same time, my father was a woodworker. And I spent time with him in his shop. I was kind of his, you know, right hand. I was his assistant. And, you know, for, for me, that, like, I grew up with it and I saw it. But I don't necessarily do it now, like, so much. So I, I'm kind of struggling because I see that my son doesn't show much interest in doing these things. He never liked Play-Doh. He never liked cutting and pasting. He hated that stuff in school. So I'm wondering what kind of advice would you give a parent who wants to spark that interest in their kid, um, but the child just really doesn't seem interested when you try? Do you have any advice for parents like me? Well, I I think you just, uh, to some degree, need to try to uh, expose them to as many different kinds of uh, of activities that there are. Um, they may not be interested in arts and craft, but might find other things uh, more interesting. Um, let me go back to your parents. So I think this is one of the interesting um, things that I see here. It's, it's in tr- truly a lot of people that I would identify as makers today uh, learned this from their parents. Um, but there's also a, an interesting, almost a generational gap uh, that that um, uh, some of the, today's parents didn't learn this from their parents, and they're coming to this kind of new. Uh, they're, they're, they actually see it as a way to engage their kids, but it wasn't something that they engaged in themselves. Uh, they didn't tinker. They didn't uh, have um, hobbies or interests, uh, perhaps. Uh, uh, Pat, uh, you know, if your father wasn't a woodworker, your mother wasn't doing the things that you mentioned. Um, you know, those are different. Uh, uh, so it, uh, what we're seeing is people are learning that uh, in the community more. They're, they're not learning it from parents. They have to go out and seek it out. They might have to take DIY classes or workshops to, to learn how to do this. They go to maker spaces for adults and, and find other people who can show them how to do it. I think the – and so we see things uh, that um, – in some ways, making today is more social than it's ever been. It, it occurs in groups and occurs with other people. Um, sometimes people working on the same thing, but often people working on their own thing, but still connecting to, to other people. And, and I think that might be a, even a, a way to look at it for your son is, is how, do you, how do you form some kind of group or how do you find others that are doing things? Um, and they could be actually very different kinds of things. Certainly, one of the one of the ideas I I felt is people um, come to Maker Fair and they see the, the 
broad range of, of people making things, and they can't help but find one or two things that, that stand out. Um, and I think also a magazine, uh, you know, is a way to, to look at things and say, well, that's interesting. That's, you know, that, that I'd like to do that. Uh, so I, I, I think, um, and, and the last thing is, it, particularly for parents, I think if, if you found things that you were interested in and see, see if you could find a way to do those together, um, I, I think that's a great way to spend time with your child. And, and perhaps, um, perhaps initially they don't engage that much with you, but they see you doing it. And it does model it for them. And, and perhaps there's an opportunity later on for them to connect around it. The flip side of that is, you know, there are also there are kids and students of, of all ages, really, that might be interested in um, a STEM field or, you know, science and technology or something that would be involved with um, becoming a maker or, or tinkering, like you said. Um, but that interest sort of ends there at an interest. They might feel that it's either it's it's too hard or it's not cool to be excited about. So it's not something that I'm going to pursue. I wonder how best to inspire those kids or to encourage those kids who might have the interest, but not think that it's something really for them. Yeah, well, this this is a almost a cultural kind of question. And, and I think what we've tried to do through the maker movement, through events like Maker Fair, is to make it cool, mm. um, to show also that lots of people are doing it. And they do it for lots of reasons. Some do it for as a job, uh, some do it as a hobby. Uh, uh, um, some people come to it late and some people start early. Uh, there's no right way to do it. And, uh, and, and I think coupled with that is uh, uh, allowing it to, to uh, be shaped by your own personality, your own personal interests is really important. Uh, I think a lot of making today um, you know, can start out as something like cosplay, um, you know, making costumes. Mm -hmm. um, some people might, might uh, you know, they might make a robot, but it might just be cardboard. And you go, well, that's not a robot. But it's an idea of a robot. Right. So in, in many ways, it starts in your head as, as imagining things, but it also starts by seeing what goes on in the world around you. In some ways, you're trying to connect the two things together. Yeah. It, it, it's fascinating you you say that you know just make the the cardboard robot and which is just a costume and and that's just taking the ideas and and bringing them to life in in almost a uh, prototype fashion it, it seems yeah. to me and I, I didn't really think about it until just now that you know the maker movement and maker fairs and being a maker it's almost like you've institutionalized or legitimized pretending you know it's like when everyone when you're a kid you pretend anything is possible and you can in your head you can make it real when you're playing and it seems that the you know being a maker and going to maker fairs and seeing all this stuff come to life is really just taking it to the next logical step it's taking those ideas and just making them actually making them yeah i i mean i i think uh, i i i i struggle with the word pretend a little bit mm -hmm. because i think in in some ways you know Fake it until you make it. I guess is what we might say. But, um, uh, but uh, in fact, you are trying to create something real. Um, and even a sketch of an idea is uh, is a, a first cut at 
making that real mm-hmm. so that you can show it to someone else and they can look at that sketch and say, huh, that's what it looks like or that's the size of it or I, I get what you're, you're saying. And, and I think it's this really human uh, quality to try to um, see something in your mind and then bring it into reality um, in, in an iterative way. It might start with a sketch and then move to various iterations of prototypes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, each of those prototypes gets a little bit better or encounters a different problem that you solve. And you find that, you know, somewhere down the road, your thing has changed from what your original idea was. Mm-hmm. But it was still kind of generated by uh, the ideas that you had and perhaps ideas that you shared with other people along the way. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. You've been evangelizing about the importance of being a maker for a long time um and between make magazine and the maker fair and in the books that you've written i'm sure this might be making an assumption but i'm sure you've also heard your fair share of of criticism and resistance to to that mindset and I'm, i'm wondering what you hear the most in terms of pushback you know Remarkably, I don't hear a lot of pushback. I'd say either it doesn't come my way. I mean, I expected a lot more pushback. Well, we can't do this in education. We don't have the time, or we don't have, it's not a priority. And I found it to be more like, how, uh, how do we do this? I found, for instance, librarians across the country, school librarians, public librarians, are, are, are trying to figure out how to incorporate making into libraries. And, uh, you know, it's never been a debate about why should you do this. It's a debate about how you do it and how do you do it well. And so um, I, I, I think the, the only kind of issues that come to mind are, are time, mm-hmm. you know, you know that, that often we feel pressed for time. But this is actually why it's so good for kids because kids have, have a – especially you know, kids in, in, a, in almost a lifelong sense of being a kid, mm-hmm. um, it, uh, you know, it, it is how you control your time and what you do with your time. Uh, and when it's things that you care about, it, it, it's different than when someone else is telling you you have to do this yeah. and you're doing it because of that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think there's, there's – I, 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 I want to diminish – or not diminish the question, though, because – I still think we live in the midst of a consumer culture where it's kind of easy to be uh, lazy in a way, uh, a feeling like, well, I can buy whatever I need, and why should I, why should I learn the skills of making things? Right. And and I, I think it goes back to saying, like, I, you know, do you feel that way about yourself creatively that you don't need to express, you know, your own ideas or um, come up with new ideas? Do you feel like you just accept things the way they are? Um, uh, I, I think the future is built by people who have these ideas, who feel like they get, um, you know, they get their hands dirty in making it happen. So I, I, I think this is almost an active versus passive uh, choice here yeah. of the kind of mindset you want to foster, not just in, in, in a generation, but in yourself. Yeah. 
So, Dale, um, speaking of that kind of mindset thing, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you didn't partially answer this question that I have already. Um, I, I've watched a few of your speaking engagements, including a TED Talk that you gave back in 2011, and that was in the Detroit area. And, you know, as we all know, Detroit was and still is struggling. The businesses have left. Uh, poverty is out, just out of control, as is drug use. I wanted to know what made you want to bring the message that the maker movement has? What made you want to bring that to that city at that time? Oh, that's a great question. I, well, I, I think partially in visiting Detroit, seeing both the problems, but also seeing the potential there that, that this is a city that has had manufacturing and making things in its blood and for generations. And, there's things in their garage and things all around it. But uh, I've I, I wondered, and I don't know if we're you know, singularly successful in doing so, but could we spark uh, something you know, in, in, in particular in the Midwest? Um, and could we encourage people to see that this was valuable, that this had not been lost uh, despite uh, a lot of changes um, in manufacturing, in factories, and, and the economy in general, places there was a sense of pride that that we can do things and that we could solve problems. And you know, we're not trying to build the world as it was 20 years ago. We have to build the world for the future, but we can do that, and we can work together that way. And, and I think that's the basic mindset around the maker movement. And you know, we I worked on a a project over the last year that sort of originated out of, out of um, that time. Uh, you know, we kind of started calling Detroit Maker City instead of, Mo you know, from Motor City to Maker City. <laughs> and we published a book last last year. Uh, and, and uh, you know, trying to give more cities guidelines on how they could sort of identify and support the maker movement and organize it in their in their cities to connect these people together. And this is one of the big things that I think the maker movement has caused to, to, to happen is, is actually to build an ecosystem of, of people that do this, that, you know, in the past they might've, you know, just, they might've been a maker, but they didn't have a word for it. They, they didn't have a way to connect to a lot of other people. And so what happens when we make these connections and, through um, maker spaces in cities like Detroit and Chicago and, you know, Madison, Wisconsin. It's a, it's a gathering place for this community to come together, which might be relatively small at this point, but they, they were never able to connect in the first place. And now that they are, um, we begin to see things like, like small businesses come out of it, um, uh, local businesses come out of it, um, education programs that, that are not just in schools, but after school and museums and libraries and science centers. Uh, and that whole sense of sharing the work that, that you do with other people um, uh, inspires other people to get involved and participate. And that's, that's really what I'm trying to do here is if we could get more people to participate in building the future, using technology, using science, it doesn't have to be mean that you're a professional in any of those things. It's important to, to have amateurs. Um, but if we can have this feeling that we're participating in creating the future rather than we're dependent on others to create it for us, I, mean, I think that's the core of what the maker movement is about.
a lot of what we're talking about here and what you're saying is, you know, we're, we're moving toward this um, cultural shift, really. I mean, we're talking about how schools have embraced this idea, how you know, you're taking this maker message to these cities that may not otherwise have, have embraced it. And, and you're, you know, you're rooting it into the businesses that are starting and an entire generation now is growing up with this um, being the new normal. Um, and you're, what's great is that you're, you're attacking it from so many different angles. Um, you're not just trying to, to come at it from one direction. Um, I know you have also been consulting for the Amazon show and androids. Um, and that it seems to me that so much of popular culture, let alone, you know, education and what students, what, you know, the students are hearing from teachers or we're hearing from businesses, but popular culture and especially kids media, um, has gotten this injection of STEM-related subjects lately. It's become a very, um, very popular and very successful in in storytelling and in, in in you know as a push for kids media. I'm just wondering how important that has been. You know, in general, you know how kids media embracing this maker message in STEM, and specifically yeah. with the show that you're involved in. Yeah. Well, I think it's you know when I started this and seeing it going, it would almost be a dream to say that you know, that pop culture would support this by, in a sense, creating characters that embrace this mindset and demonstrate it um, for, for, for the kids. Just as I mentioned cosplay, you know, I, I think it's important for kids to see other kids in roles that they, uh, that, that invite them to consider this as, um, not not just normal, but um, adventurous, of uh, courageous, of um, uh, ambitious. That this is something, you know, that's that's almost extraordinary. And and uh, I I think uh, you know what what I see at an Android, it's it's it isn't that you know Annie is normal <laughs> in mm -hmm. certain ways. She's a star, right? I mean, and and I think this she has certain powers. Um, uh, that she's acquired and, and exercises. And, and I think uh, a person watching that, uh, and, and there's actually two, two different sides of it. I think a parent watching that sees something, and I think a child watching that sees something. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, ideally that converges in, in something that, that um, applies to their own life. And, and I think one of the things... I was talking earlier about uh, parents and children. I, I think the maker movement has helped to I, give this a name and give it uh, a certain shape mm -hmm. um, that parents begin to see this in their children. And it was one of the things I said in my book. I see my I have a grandchild who's about th just turned three, and I see him, you know, at a year old, two years old, as a maker in a ways that I didn't even see my kids that way. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I. Uh, I, I interpret what he's doing differently, and I see him building and making and, and putting things together and taking them apart, and I see that as a mental activity as well as a physical one. Yeah. And I think if we can, you know, get that across, that uh, like like in androids, that this is what it this is what it means to be smart. You know, this is what it means to be able to do things, not just act smart but to do stuff, to build things, and to really 
in a sense, solve problems, you know, yeah. in, in, in its great way. It's really, you know, it shows that you work as a team, you, you have new ideas, some of them don't always work, and you respond to that and go on. And this, this is what should be normal, right? Not that you passed a test and got an A, but that you actually were able to solve real problems in your life and, um, and, and problems that impact other people. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I see Androids and I, other shows like it. I see it working from at least two major, um, re, for two ma- two major reasons. You know, one, kids who might not be aware that this is something that they could do. That you know, they that's their exposure. That's their that's their doorway in. That's how they get into the the community and and get the ideas and get the inspiration. And on the flip side of that is that you know kids who are already into that and might but maybe don't see to have the support or don't have you know that that friendship um in the local community with other kids who are interested in that they see themselves in the show and it, and it gives them um a reason to keep doing what they're doing yeah i think those are great points i i think the you know if if people uh, if young people don't have uh exposure uh to say people who make things with their parents don't, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is a kind of deficit. And so, uh, uh, showing this is something that, that people do allows them to make a connection. And, you know, we live in a time when once you make that connection, uh, it's almost not a hindrance anymore, uh, to, that you don't have a parent that is getting go onto, onto the internet and you can find videos and all kinds of things that can help you do these things. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, for all the entertaining videos, there's so many great how to videos out there that actually show you how to do stuff. Absolutely. And, and so that's, that's one side of it is getting that. So I think what entertainment does so well is, is kind of work on that sort of inspiration side, which leads to motivation. Like give me a reason to do this. And now, um, once you have that reason, there's so many different methods you could explore to, to acquire the skills and the capabilities that, that, uh, that you want or need. Yeah. The second one, I, I think, is an, an interesting point, too, because I, I thought certainly when I, when I sort of connected making together, it, it, you know, it was sort of a community of geeks. And, mm-hmm. and often, I think... You could say generally that, um, as we're on Geek Dad here, that some some people felt very lonely as geeks, like they were the only person interested in something, and they wondered if it was uh, odd, or they wondered if they should keep doing this. And to often, um, and people tell me, make a fair that they found their tribe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when you find other people like this, you know, you realize you're not alone, and it's just, it's enlightening right yeah. uh, that other people think the way you do and, and this is the thing that really fascinated me about makers it really didn't matter what your project was about the way you thought about your project was was what you know this mindset was what connected you to other people so someone could be ham radio and someone could be robots and someone could be crafting and they actually could all get together over a beer and have a great conversation because they 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 thought in similar yeah. ways about the value of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Dale, you, you reminded me of something I wanted to ask you there. A little earlier in that point, you mentioned um, the use of videos, how-to videos. 
um, is something Jamie and I talked about just recently is he and I have been making use of a certain website that starts with you and ends in tube to, um, to learn how to do things we didn't know how to do. Like I, I found videos on how to completely take apart a lawnmower carburetor and clean it and put it back together and, and get my lawnmower running, things like that. Um, and that got me thinking, how do you see like women represented in the maker fairs? Are, are they like already fully involved or are they just now kind of starting? Are you doing anything to bring them in actively, like really trying to attract them, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think, um, I think we could always use more work, um, uh, you know, to get more women. But I, I feel like the Maker Faire does a better job than of anything we do to attract more women and engage more women. Mm-hmm. Um, some are coming at it from craft, and 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 that's a, a somewhat traditional perspective on on women in making. But I, I actually believe that getting women there is important, and, and they get exposed to other things that that may also be interesting to them and certainly their children um, can can look at it differently um, I, I think uh, you know generally there has been kind of a, almost a, a, a segregation of men and women in terms of science and technology and arts and crafts and and I I, I just believe that uh, this is something that we all do it's human it's not male it's not female uh, and and our culture needs to be more supportive, uh, and, uh, um, you know, even in the way that we're talking about with androids, um, showing that, um, women aren't just a team member, but really leaders in this. And certainly we have, uh, women, uh, makers as leaders in maker, uh, in, in the maker community. Uh, we need more of them though. And, uh, um, and, and I think one of the key things is, um, and, and you know, the, I mean, it's a big question. Sort of, what do you do to support that? And, <laughs> and one of the one of the questions, you know, because it can it can can actually lead, I think, to some ill-informed choices. But I think <laughs> a lot of women that I've talked to say, you know, just don't, you know, don't do anything against us, right? You know, just <laughs> let us do our stuff. You know, and just mm-hmm. like like I think um, uh, I, I I think one of the things that hurts creative people. Is, is judgment and and, uh, and and criticism and uh, especially when it's because this is something that starts off being very tentative you try things and you don't know it and if someone comes in and says you're not very good at something uh, that that really can set you back and you know and and you're often in the position where, where you know, the person who's telling you that doesn't know what they're talking about but you don't know that whether mm-hmm. that's a teacher you know, a, a parent, uh, a friend, um, they're just saying something to be obnoxious. And, <laughs> and honestly, that shouldn't say anything at all. Um, so uh, be nice is kind of can go a long way to just uh, welcoming more women into the community and supporting their own interest and in their work. I completely agree with that idea. Um, and, and I like how you flipped that around and said, well, you know, it, it's not necessarily what we're doing. It's what we're not doing that you're, you're making sure that women feel welcome, that there, that there's a space for quote unquote traditional, um, women maker topics, which is great. I, you know, where 
it's not my cup of tea, but where would I be without people who, who do those sorts of things and make my house beautiful with paintings and pictures and, you know, whatever it may be that they do. Um, I like that, that your take on it is we just want to let them know they're welcome and that we're going to make a space for them. I think that's the, the right approach. I, I love that. Thank you for that. And, and I love I love stories about pe- <laughs> women fixing their lawnmowers. So, um, <laughs> you know, probably something uh, you know a lot of us can't do ourselves. So um, you know, cut that there's grass. A, yeah, there's just a um, way that uh, you know my goal anyway is is uh, really to encourage everyone to kind of figure out that they can change things. Um, you know, from repairing stuff that often we're told today you can't, you know, you can't do that uh, to say, yes, I can. Um, I want to replace a battery or I want to replace, you know, figure out what's wrong with the lawnmower. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I think these are little steps that add up meaning something uh, culturally because something important to who we are. Uh, so I, I think it's um, uh, all, all these things matter. Yeah. And a lot of it, you know, like, like you were saying, and you've touched on this a few times, a lot of it is just letting somebody know that, hey, you can do it. Just because you've never done it before doesn't mean that you can't, you know, and that's, right. you know, Sam and, and I. And it's, it's okay that you're not the best at Exactly. At and, and, you know, I think this is what I kind of try to define as the amateur mindset in, as makers is it's actually a it's a kind of freedom, you know, to be an amateur. Yeah. It's, it's like you get to choose whatever level you want to participate at. You, whatever the goal is, it's your goal. You don't have to be the best or the top or whatever it is. And in our hyper-competitive society, this is actually a, a personal freedom. Uh, it's, a, it's a great thing. And that freedom is important for kids as well as adults here because they're often, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. And you know, uh, sometimes when you take all those things back and say, well, what do you really want to do? They stumble because we've never asked them that question. Yeah. You know, what, what, what would you like to make? And it's kind of scary because we don't have, they don't have a, a practice of, of doing, you know, um, thinking through that problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I know just with my own kids, a lot of times, you know, they want to make something and if they get frustrated or they say, well, I don't, I can't do that. I've never done that before. All they need is you to say, well, just try, you know, and then just like, just let yeah. them, let, don't tell them what to do. Just let them experiment, let them right. put stuff together. And, and... Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I mean, because, uh, that, that, um, one of the worst things parents can do is to take control away from the child yeah. who's doing this. Uh, but, and, and that happens when you say, well, let me figure it out for you. Yeah. Well, I know the answer, and here it is. Um, the best role for a parent, and this requires no technical knowledge, <laughs> is to actually just give them, help them reflect on what's going on, you know, by observing how they're feeling or what they're doing. So I see that you're frustrated. You know, yeah. what's the problem? You know, getting them to articulate it and talk about it. Not giving them the answer, uh, but um, and they also recognize them when they when they you know they came back and, and solved it or did something. Say so that that's you did a good job there, and yeah. you know that frustration was part of the whole process. It wasn't something you should have done without or not experienced. That experience was critical 
to you getting to the final right. goal. Right. So, uh, you know, this is where I think parents and teachers can play, you know, uh, a very important role without having any sense of whether this is an Arduino problem or a 3D <laughs> printer problem or, you know, whether it name your tool of choice. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a human problem. Encouragement and understanding. It goes a long way. Like, and you're saying, like, I don't need to be an ex- I don't need to know the answer to what my kid is trying to build. I don't need to know how to build that robot. But if I can encourage him or her and, and, and understand what the challenges are that they're facing, then that's right. more than likely enough to get them through their, 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 their stumbling blocks and, and to push on to, to find their own solution. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, finally, I just want to ask a quick question. Um, Personally, for yourself, with no limitations in place, what would you be doing? Where would you be on a perfect day? In the garden. Yeah? <laughs> Go back to the thing. Well, I, I, I do like, I like to, especially this time of year, is when go, you know, I've got the seeds going in the greenhouse, and, and uh, I'm not there, so if I had the time, I would be back. <laughs> um, I, I, I like, I, I just, that process of seeing things grow and being part of that is, um, yeah. fails to amaze me and, and, um, get my attention each, each season and each year. Yeah. So, uh, I think that's, um, that's where you'd be. And then, you know, things that grow, uh, sharing that cooking with it, a bit like your mom, uh, um, and, mm-hmm. uh, um, those are the things that I, I really enjoy a lot. That's fantastic. Dale, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Welcome. So much. Here in Fredericton, where I live, there was a guy who actually used, we have a local makerspace here, and he used uh, hit the makerspace here to create a actual BB-8 that moves around. And I, I, I had pictures of it, Jamie, I showed you before. And it was yeah, an actual moving, that. beeping, talking BB-8, and he, he still uses it all the time. And he used the makerspace for that. So that, that's a pretty that's a pretty good use for a makerspace, I think. I think that I, seems I think to me, so. though, that's not something that like you would just... They, like Those spare parts weren't just lying around the makerspace. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I don't think so. But also, in, in talking about that, it's really taken over here as well. Our My kid's school now has a makerspace inside of the school where they can go and they create things. And Hannah is actually in a maker fair the next week. And she's, she's, she's written code. I don't know how she did this. She wrote code for a robot and the robot is going to act out a play that they wrote in English class. That's be like straight (laughs) over my head. I don't know how she did it. But apparently that's what's happening on Tuesday when I go see it. So I'll let you know how that goes. Oh, man. <laughs> we, never, we never did that in third grade. <laughs> no. I don't even know how she wrote code. How does a grade three person write code for grade four? <laughs> do, your, do your schools have anything like that, the maker? Um, we, my, my kids' elementary school, they don't have, like, a dedicated maker space. Um, but right. they do have, you know, like, they've got the science fair, which is basically a maker fair. You know, right. kids come in and they do, they do their own thing and they, you know, do little demonstrations. Um, and it hasn't really taken off at school so much, which is a little unfortunate, at least my kid's school. But my daughter loves mm-hmm. it. Like, any chance she can get to, to build something. We were at a museum, you know, one of the science museums in New York, actually, in, in, uh, in New York City, and uh, they had a little makerspace there, and it was like, 
it was like a dollar and you could join one of their classes and they would teach you how to build stuff. And it was like, you got to cut wood and drill holes and they, you could make like a little robot just out of wood. Mm -hmm. But for like my kids been in there and they're five and eight. And for a five and eight year old to like be trusted with a a power drill and a saw, you know, and, and to little dowels and cutting, snipping dowels for little legs and and putting together a robot. Like that was a thrill for them. They had such a blast doing that. My my son's current school is is kind of in flux. It's a, it's a new program and the, uh, look, the, the, uh, school district here, the club, he goes to Columbus city schools. Um, and he goes to a school. It's kind of, they got kind of, they formed it quickly and they shoved it into this old abandoned elementary school. And, and like they're, they're using offices and half the library as oh, classrooms. No. Um, but it, it's been tremendous. So they're kind of otherwise. like the whole school is a makerspace. Like they're making a school. I think they might have been <laughs> secretly building it. Um, they're moving to a much larger location for next school year. So I think they might have some opportunities for this. I mean, but they're. I think one of the things that's not necessarily um, in the school, but his program, almost on a weekly basis, takes the kids out into the community. They go to uh, COSI, the Central Ohio Science Institute, and they have a lot of hands-on stuff there. They'll go to uh, the uh, Audubon Society, which for, for us is, you know, they, they have like a, um, like a wildlife preserve there, and they yeah, do, they do cool. stuff around that. They go to the the zoo. Obviously, the Columbus Zoo is one of the biggest and best in, in the nation. They go there a lot. I mean, they're just all over the place. So they'll just go wandering around the neighborhood because they're in a, a very nice uh, part of Columbus, and they'll just go wandering around and go down to parks. And yeah, it's it's very nice. They they don't cool. stay in the classroom all the time. I love nice. that about about. I like program. that a lot. I like yeah. that idea. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. That's very. Although cool. we will need to get Betsy on the phone and get you guys some makerspaces, so we'll, we'll we'll look forward to that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that, that's gonna happen. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. If uh, thank you so much for coming back every single week. If you don't come back every week, make sure you do. Hit, hit the subscribe button, and you can come back. Do we like to see you or see you download, I guess? <laughs> we like to see your number in the download column. Yes. Every number to me is a face and a beautiful soul whenever I see it tick. <laughs> <laughs> it has Every number has a story. That can be our new thing. All right. There if you go. Wanna... Every number has a story. I like that. <laughs> so if you want to connect with us, we are on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast. And I am Justin at 140, Justin C. And Samantha, what is your social media where we can find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Samantha Fisher or on Facebook. Uh, you know, obviously, the normal Facebook URL and Samantha A. Fisher. I'm Jamie at the Robots. Yeah, yeah. same place. That's why Jamie's easy. Huh? It hasn't changed. I, I, he was the Jamie smart one easy. and got all of his social media to be exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. It didn't seem so much smart as just sort of the only way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we'll see you next time right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Take care. All right, that'll be fun editing. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.